0: You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, your go-to podcast for Catholic ministry shop talk. Episode nine, Mindfulness in Ministry, an interview with Dr. Greg Bataro. Dr. Greg Bataro is a Catholic psychologist. And in this episode, he speaks with us about how as Catholic ministry professionals, we can bring mindfulness into our workplace and into our lives to maintain better balance and perspective on the work that we're doing. He's also going to share with us some tips from a psychologist's perspective on evangelizing, which I think you'll find really interesting. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to the show. My name is Alan, and I am joined today by my other two hosts, Colin and Tom. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. How are you, Alan? And I'm doing well. Doing real well. Colin, how about you?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. How about you?
1: Man, fantastic. I'm always uh, a little envious when I see your beard. What kind of beard balm are you using today?
0: Uh, today, I'm wearing orthodoxy. <laughs> so.
1: Of course you are. <laughs> but what about your beard balm, Colin? Mm.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm actually wearing you know, you know, Alan, you had already said how you were doing and I asked you again, which which reminds me that, that yesterday going through TSA, I actually misused the U2 phrase to a TSA agent. Didn't she said, you? have a good flight. And I, I said, you too. I walked right into it. As many times as I have heard Brian Regan tell that joke, I actually did it in real life.
1: Oh, man. And, we, and we've <laughs> and joked she, about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. She told me. She told me she has lots of great flights stored up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great I wonder if she's heard that and she has like a just had a certain canned response like waiting for that I wonder how many times she uses that a day
0: probably many times So, have a good podcast you too <laughs> you too you, too. <laughs> you have a podcast someday <laughs> oh
1: man so today's podcast is sponsored by Brian Regan we like to thank Brian Regan for all of his <laughs> just kidding <laughs> Um, so today we've got a uh, a very special guest, um, Dr. Greg Bataro, who is with us today. Good morning, Greg.
2: Good morning. Great to be here with you guys.
1: It's great to have you. Really, we're all we've all been looking forward to um, to today. So uh, we're we're pretty pretty stoked to have you. So um, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna um, embarrass you a little bit and just kind of tell some of your accomplishments and your your basically your resume, which is quite impressive. So. Um, Dr. Gregg is a clinical psychologist practicing in Connecticut. He received his doctorate in clinical psychology from the Institute of Psychological Sciences, a graduate school in Arlington, Virginia, that integrates Catholic philosophy and theology with sound, empirically validated psychology. Say that 10 times fast. He founded the Catholic Psych Institute, Um, but get this, before that, he actually discerned uh, vocation with the Franciscan Friars of Renewal in the Bronx. He spent uh, four years in the Bronx, is that right?
2: Yeah, about three and a half years.
1: Three and a half years before he ultimately discerned that he was called to, um, to married life. And now he obviously has formed the Catholic Psych Institute and works with those undergoing various forms of psychological suffering um, in Connecticut. Um, and one of his most recent projects is Catholic Mindfulness Programme. But uh, his real claim to fame is being the best man in Colin's wedding.
2: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the highlights of my life.
1: <laughs> I think another podcast might be some stories revolving around that uh, that time. But you know, we'll save we'll save that. We so could there, probably
2: there, start a whole podcast itself, <laughs> not just one episode, but a weekly episode.
0: <laughs> oh, it would absolutely. Uh, th- <laughs> the proper care and feeding of iguanas and all sorts of things.
1: <laughs> That's an awesome. one. I was just in uh, Connecticut filming uh, with Dr. Greg for a couple of uh, programs working on baptism and wisdom. And he was telling us some of those stories about the actually, he mentioned the iguana and he also talked about you saving St. Francis.
2: That's, That's right. right. We had some zealous times together, I mean, right? Right on the brink of my conversion, and uh, and and we we're in New Orleans, and and uh, I saw a statue of Saint Francis, inappropriately placed in the middle of. I think it was a tarot card reader or some yeah. fortune teller.
0: We we ransomed Saint Francis, <laughs> and and he he stayed in my classroom on top of the intercom for about ten years.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> good
0: times. Good times yep
1: all right, so before we start I want to remind all of our listeners that um, if you have any questions for us, please let us know if you want to uh, have a, if you have a problem you want to troubleshoot with us let us know if, uh, if you just want to give us feedback and tell us um, how good, bad or ugly we are, please um, let us know you can leave us a comment in the show notes which you can find at ascensionpresents.com slash podcasts or you can just send us an email at ascensionroundtable@ascensionpress.com. at ascensionpress.com So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Dr. Greg. Hi, this is Father Mike Schmitz. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're gonna to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. That's youtube.com slash Ascension Presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. So we're back. Welcome again, Dr. Greg. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I had been, was just in his office. Um, Dr. Greg is working on a couple of programs for us for Ascension that are coming out um, very soon. Actually, by the time you're listening to this, they may have already been out. Uh, Belonging, which is a baptism program and wisdom, um, which is a Bible study. So we're very excited to have that and very excited to have um, Dr. Greg with us on those where he was actually talking about his uh, Catholic mindfulness program and some of the, um, some of the tricks of the trade, if you will. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say that, but some of the things you can do to kind of stay in the present moment, but we're going to talk about that um, in a little bit. Um, so what is Catholic mindfulness speaking of? what uh, if you could just give us a two minute uh, what is it in a nutshell, doctor, that'd be great.
2: Sure. well basically it's uh, the Catholic mindfulness is an integration of you know two things that have been around. Obviously, Catholicism and but a specific part of Catholic spirituality, which is based on abandonment to divine providence. Um, or there's another book called *The Practice of the Presence of God* by Brother Lawrence. And those books are, um, you know, they they kind of develop this kind of spirituality, which is to to uh, be in touch with God in the present moment. And uh, and I integrate that spirituality with something called mindfulness. Which is, uh, which is a practice that's becoming much more popular these days because there's a lot of evidence, scientific evidence, coming forth from research that's being done to show how effective this mindfulness program is in uh, decreasing symptoms of anxiety and depression and actually a, a host of other psychological and physical disorders. And so medical science is starting to, to kind of perk up its ears on the, the power of this kind of practice to help people um, grow in health non-medicinally. And, uh, and so it's just becoming really popular. Um, and so I've brought together the two into this program of Catholic mindfulness. And ultimately, we realize that uh, by trusting God, which is really the heart of abandonment to divine providence, uh, we, we can learn how to be without worry and without anxiety and feel less depressed and so that's actually how god made us to be and so it's really it shouldn't be any surprise to us that when we live according to the way god made us psychological and physical disorder start to disappear we can be healthier and happier by following the way god made us uh to live and so ultimately that means trusting god letting go of our worries letting go of the need to be in control of every aspect of our life, realizing that he's really ultimately in control. And that's where our deepest peace can really come from. And so that's what this course is. It brings together both elements of the spiritual and the psychological and helps people ha- to, to learn how to practically experience greater peace in their life.
1: So how could somebody uh, working in ministry, which is um, our audience, we hope, <laughs> how could somebody working in a ministry where there's a ton of distractions every day, how could they, just a practical... Um, Practical way for them to practice it in their everyday life?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, to first step back a little bit and think about what ministry is, I mean, everybody in a sense is engaged in some kind of ministry. So the answer to this question really applies to, you know, whether you're a mom, stay at home mom with a bunch of kids, if you're homeschooling or not, uh, you know, taking care of the home, um, or if you're, you know, a CEO of some company and, and, and your, your life is crazy, you know, or if you're, you know, actually specifically uh, you know in some kind of ministry being paid for that kind of work working for the church in some way um, you know basically we have to see that our life is as meant to be vocational in that sense and serving others and there's always this question of how to do it best and there are programs that are developed and you know when when it comes to parenting there's all these books and systems and theories of this is the kind of parenting that matters or this is the kind of you know, leadership that's most effective. There's a a lot of great material. But I think the one principle that kind of underlies all of these different programs is the, the presupposition that the person has to be at peace and has to have a certain level of calmness to engage in the tips and tricks and techniques that are being presented for that particular ministry. So when, when we're feeling frazzled and hectic or, or you know, frantic, it doesn't matter how good the book is that we're reading or how good the program is that we're learning from, we're not gonna be able to implement it in our work. And so, you know, it, it, this, and this is most clear with parenting because very clearly and most directly when it comes to being a parent, your primary psychological role is to teach your children emotional regulation. Uh, and I say primary psychological, so I'm not talking about spiritual or moral responsibility or all, those other things come along with it. But even from infancy, parents are training their kids on how to regulate their own emotion. And you can think about this in ministry. I mean, if you're in young adult ministry, that's going to probably ring pretty true as well. You're, you need to get your teenagers emotionally regulated in some way before... <laughs> any of your icebreakers are going to make sense or any of your catechesis is going to make sense. And so, but the only way to do that is to first be emotionally regulated yourself. And that's, the, that's where you start from in terms of conveying a message of peace or teaching something through your ministry, whatever it is, is that if you're living a life that's already, by example, leading people in the way that you try, you're trying to portray and, and convince them of, That's going to be the most effective kind of ministry that you have. So this is where the mindfulness comes in, because we can't have that level of peace if we don't trust that God is really taking care of everything. And when we believe on some deep level that everything rests on our shoulders, at that deep level, it's all going to fall apart. And we know that we can't actually handle that responsibility. It couldn't possibly be our responsibility. If it's really all up to us, then everybody's in a whole lot of trouble <laughs> because we, we just know that we can't do it. And even if we can you know, play a good game and put on a good front and have this great facade of being really good at whatever it is that we do, in our own innermost depth, depths of our own heart, we know what our failings and weaknesses and imperfections are. And so we're going to crumble under the weight of the world if we really believe that it's really all up to us. So this is where Catholic mindfulness helps us develop a psychological, spiritual sense of abandonment to divine providence, and we can really let it go and really know that it's really all up to God. Then from there, we derive that deeper peace, and from there, we're in a much more effective position to be able to lead our ministry, whatever it is.
0: You might almost say that there's only one thing necessary, (laughs) as Jesus does. Um, Absolutely. so I had a chance yesterday, uh, flying around a little bit to, um, to practice my mindfulness in, in an airport and, and actually read a bit of brother Lawrence, which I had never done. And, um, I, I warned Alan that if, 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 he was to read brother Lawrence, his, his shirt may catch on fire from the, the burning <laughs> of the heart it would create. So a, a strong endorsement for the the foundations of, of, of your work. Um, I, I have a question, I guess, for those who are in ministry, um, certainly full disclosure this is one of my struggles the balance between um the the gift of self we try to give in ministry and the gift of self we give at home that there is often um, a lot of blurring of those two worlds. So, how how specifically could mindfulness help um, the the youth minister or or uh, maybe the campus minister sitting in an all girls Catholic high school in Louisiana to balance? <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> Hypothetically, of hypothetical. course. It's just all hypothetical. <laughs> so, to balance the gift of self we want to give in ministry and the gift of self we want to give at home. Great question.
2: Yeah, great great question. I think that. Um, I mean, you know, everybody's going to have sort of an individual story and, and an individual place where they're, they're even asking that question from. But I think uh, when it comes to, you know, if, if you're married and, and living that spousal vocation and family life, then uh, this is going to be critically important for your primary vocation to know how to have these kinds of conversations. I, so I, I think the first step is to establish appropriate boundaries uh, that you, you decide through healthy communication with your spouse. And healthy communication is something that's affected by mindfulness as well. So it, being able to speak openly and honestly uh, with your spouse requires the ability to put aside your own thoughts and feelings while the other person is speaking. And this goes a lot deeper and a lot further astray. You, you know, this is like basically how a whole system of marital therapy is developed from this concept. This is also something that John Paul II talks about in Love and Responsibility in his section on tenderness. And tenderness, according to JP 2 is the ability to, uh, to be, it's basically empathy plus. Uh, it's, it's putting yourself in another person's shoes, thinking and feeling their thoughts and feelings and then expressing it to them so that they have a sense that they're with you, that you're with them. And you have develop a sense of unity, which is a goal of marriage, through this kind of empathic, mindful listening. So mindfulness provides the practical how-to, how to actually communicate with your spouse in a much more effective and better way. So from there, you're able to express what your needs are. And you can figure out, like, okay, I'm having you know, trouble with my ministry in this way or... I feel like I need some extra time uh, or, you know, and then your spouse has a chance to say, well, you know, I need some more, some more time from you at home and that kind of thing. So that would be step one. Um, And then uh, another section, another part of it where it could have an effect is ultimately, practically where I see people struggling with that is because they are taking too much responsibility on their own shoulders. Again, they're not really living in their ministry as if God is the one who's responsible for it, for the fruit. And, you know, this is where St. Therese comes in again. And she's like, look it, I'm just here to do what I'm told. And whatever happens as a result of it is not up to me. And if there's any good fruit that comes from this, that's all his anyways. And if there's nothing that comes from this, it doesn't matter because I'm just doing what he told me to do. And she was specifically speaking about her experience as a novice mistress. She's Mm -hmm. like, I don't care if the sisters like what I have to give them or not. If they don't like me, if they love me, it really doesn't (laughs) matter to me. Mm. So if we have that sense of boundary uh, in our own heart, according to our ministry, which means we understand God's in charge, we trust him, we abandon ourselves to him, then we don't have to take home the struggles and difficulties of where things failed that day. You know, or the kids that are, you know, on the phone trying to call us through the night and and we think that we have to make ourselves available to them inappropriately because otherwise we're going to lose them. Or, you know, and then somehow we messed up and they're not going to come back to youth group next week or, you know, some some issue like that might come up. So ultimately, at the core, if we put responsibility where it's supposed to be, I think that'll clear up a lot of those difficulties.
0: Hmm. Yet yeah, what strikes me listening to you and also um in, in reading Brother Lawrence yesterday and uh and in tying this all back to Therese is is just the, the simplicity that that most of these principles are uh they're they're just the gospel brought to life. They're they're very easy to know, and I, I would say hard to do, but not really if we go back to the one thing necessary, yeah. and, and that's to, to live to live in God's presence and abandon ourselves to divine providence. Um, I suppose right. if we it's, all did that, we'd be saints.
2: I think so, and I, I think it's easy to know, it's easy in concept to do, but it's hard because, because we don't trust, and it's hard for us to trust, and we don't want to let go of that control. Mm-hmm. And so we know what we're supposed to do, we just don't want to do it. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, that's actually, you know, when it comes down to the nitty gritty of the rubber meets the road in this situation with this kid calling me on the phone at this hour, saying no to picking up that phone is where that's how we actually put into action following through with that trustful abandonment. And that's when we don't want to do it.
3: You know what you're saying there, uh, Dr. Greg, is so it's not rocket science to any of us. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about it and yet so hard about it. Because you, as you said, this simple abandonment, I mean, let's face it. If we have this simple abandonment, everything um, is much more at peace. We're trusting in him, and we're following those those promptings. And it, it, it makes so much sense. Something you said earlier, I forget the exact word. If I had more mindfulness, I would have remembered exactly the way you put it. But <laughs> what I say to my family, I say my, to my family all the time, guys, you need to manage your emotions. You need to manage your emotions. And I, I walked my wife recently through what I thought were like six steps to help her manage her emotions. She's melancholic. My wife gets melancholic about being melancholic, right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we, we joke about that. I, why am I so melancholic? I just hate, why can't I be a so sanguine like you? You know, I just, uh, and it's, it just cracks me up how she's this way. And I just say, well, let's, you know, you just got to learn how to manage this. And so that's good. But the key to that I think it really is trusting in God and putting it in his hands and we don't have to worry about it. Um, on that note, um, all of us here have been working in ministry in different aspects and uh, you've, you've touched on this already, Dr. Greg, but uh, those of us who work in ministry, we we have certain trappings that we fall into, right? Either we, we have this huge need to be needed and because of that, we feel like we just always got to be there for people. Uh, uh, so we can't let go. But what would you say would be some of the, the psychological traps for, for people in, in ministry that, that are out there, because uh, th- that's our audience that are listening to these podcasts. What would you say would be some of the, the top traps that we tend to fall into, and how can we avoid those?
2: Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I could give you an exhaustive list, but I'll just kind of try to think of a couple things off the top of my head. Um, you know, for, the first thing that comes to mind as a psychologist is kind of the old joke about therapists in general— which is, you know, therapists are the ones who need the therapist the most. And people mm-hmm. go to grad school or ther- you know, get, they major in psychology because they're trying to figure out their own issues, right? <laughs> yep. So I think, I think, uh, you know, I think the first thing is just, and, and it, it relates to what you said, they, they, there's, there can be a need to be needed. And ultimately, that's where, um, you know, people can fall into that trap of, trying to get something out of the ministry more than they're giving. And I think ministry has to be a gift of self. And it's, it's one of those aspects of, of vocation where it's, it's got to be a dying to self, a gift of self in an appropriate manner. You know, the full gift of self is appropriate in marriage. So even being able to make those boundaries to figure out how much do I need to pull back from what I'm giving to this particular ministry, that's also a sacrifice where And this happens all the time with guys, I see mostly with men um, in, in relating to work in general. It's like, you know, if I go home and I feel like my wife is nagging me or not appreciating me and she's not showing me gratitude for all the hard work I do. And then I go to work and I'm getting all these kinds of accolades and, you know, you know people love what I do. And I'd rather spend time at work. You know, and I think the same thing can happen in ministry. You know if, if this is where you know people look up to you and you feel good about yourself, you're getting something out of that, and it's it's uh, distorting the the equation, and it's tipping the balance in the wrong direction mm-hmm. for for giving more than you're getting. I'm not saying you can't receive from the, your ministry, absolutely. as in everything, the gift of self is reciprocated if it's appropriately you know, imaging the presence of God, you know, how, how the Trinity is manifest everywhere. There's, there's a mutual giving and receiving. So when you make the gift of self in your ministry, of course, hopefully it's being received, and therefore there's something you're getting back out of it. But it's, it's a matter of what the primary goal and focus is and intention of, of the minister. So generally speaking, uh, looking to get something more than you give to the ministry can be really problematic.
0: It reminds me very much of uh, my experience yesterday in, in reading Brother Lawrence. He talks about the confusion of ends and means, um, especially with regard to the virtue of charity. And that's something that that's come up, I think, in our conversations a lot, um, that we we flip the ends and the means. We forget the, the primary goal. And I, I think that's w- what you're saying here is that it's easy to um, – to interiorly make the end of our ministry our own fulfillment, rather than the self-gift. Um, it's not that it can't. We, you you should you will get fulfilled, but you only get fulfilled if you actually make the gift of self, which is the whole paradox of of uh, our 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 meaning of life being found in self-gift. So so that's that's a, a very uh, powerful thing. I think there were there were a lot of you, you can't see if you're listening to the podcast, but all of our heads were nodding very very uh, <laughs> largely on our Skype call. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And for people working, (coughs) excuse me, for people working in the church that have a lot of of volunteers, some of the volunteers fall into that trap as well. And so I think it's, you know, their place Mm -hmm. to, number one, like you said, make sure they're mindful of of it themselves and living it themselves. But then to help the people that are volunteering for them, whether they be in RCIA or adult faith formation or or youth ministry or, or whatever, that they find that those people that are working with them, volunteering aren't falling into that trap as well and kind of helping them walk through that that process and recognize those dangers and recognize those pitfalls so they can stay um, you know fresh but also um, giving for the sake of, of giving not to receive like you said. so good stuff man really good stuff. We're going to take another quick break and then we'll be right back with uh, more from Dr. Greg so you don't want to go away stay tuned.
0: There might be an upcoming Ascension event happening near you, and we'd love for you to attend. Almost every week, our inspiring Catholic speakers travel to parishes, schools, and organizations around the country to ignite hearts with the love of
3: Christ. Discover and register for upcoming Ascension events at ascensionpress.com events.
1: All right, welcome back. Uh, I just want to pause again and remind you guys how you can get a hold of us. If you want to leave us some feedback, which we would love to hear from you guys. So please do. Um, You can do that at ascensionpresents.com slash podcast. You can leave us comments in the show notes, or you can just send us an email at ascension roundtable at ascensionpress.com. And Dr. Greg, how can people get a hold of you or, or look up some of your, um, programs and, and, uh, things you're working on? How can they get a hold of you?
2: Sure. So I have—my uh, general website is catholicpsych.com, and that's with all my contact information and information about the services that we offer, therapy and, and other resources. Um, and uh, from there, you can link also to the, the place to find this course on Catholic Mindfulness, and that's actually catholicmindfulness.com. So it's pretty easy to find it.
1: Excellent. Colin,
0: I'm going to let you um,
1: put your friend on the hot seat and um, just fire it away, buddy. <laughs>
0: So not, not to, uh, to, to let you down, but I think, I think he answered the tougher questions. I, I have, I have pretty easy questions, but, um, <laughs> I, I will have to say that, that my friend has come a long way since our, our, uh, our conversation sitting in lifeguard chairs in Rhode Island. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, time since high school has really done wonders. <laughs> wait wait <laughs> yeah. a second.
1: Wait a second. Lifeguards in Rhode Island. You're, that means you're insinuating that people actually go in the water in
0: Rhode Island. Is that oh, yeah. true? Oh yeah, of, co- of course. Of course. Is it? You, it you, yeah, it's it's part of uh, it's sometimes it's redemptive suffering until August. But.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, how many days a year can you actually be employed as a lifeguard? And
0: I was like, three days a year where you actually get work. <laughs> actually, I, I think Dr. Greg would have a whole other set of stories about that very specific topic. <laughs> I'm
2: not sure how many of those stories Spe- would be appropriate for, <laughs> for this
0: podcast, such as talking about the unionization of lifeguards and such. But we'll we'll leave that for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I digress. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I was actually going to turn the topic toward uh, evangelization. That um, when <clears throat> when I hear a lot of of what you're saying, specifically with with mindfulness, um, there's the question that that even if uh, some someone out there really found themselves growing in their interior peace. Um, and and finding that that psychological spiritual equilibrium, um, breaking through their Cartesian chains, um, there's the question of well how do how do you share the the gospel overall, but but particularly the gospel through this lens of uh, of I guess uh, serenity. So how how can we share mindfulness with with our family and friends?
2: Well, I think I I, I think evangelization has to be built on the principle of a, of a proposal to, to live a different life. And it's got to be a life that you're living. Otherwise, your proposal is going to be pretty worthless. Mm-hmm. And so I really do see this as a foundational way of life that will affect everything you do, inclu- you know your ministry and including evangelization. And again, coming back to parents, this is something I talk a lot with parents about who suffer... The pain of children growing up, going to college, in their young 20s, and falling away from the faith. And it has to be a sense of peace in God's plan that transcends this time and place right now to realize that in the grand scheme of things, everything's going to be okay. And we can trust the Father who loves us. So even if it means letting go of where your kid is at today uh, and 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 being at peace, still trusting God, so be it. And when it comes to evangelization, to take away this kind of anxiety over you know changing this person today and, and making sure you have the right argument that sticks or get them to show up to these meetings because that's what's going to change their life or, you know, fill in the blank. Anything that we feel this anxiety over and the action of our evangelization and uh, you know a principle that comes from actually comes from I guess from the theology of the body and and uh, and, and some work of John Paul too but you know we have to be Marian before we're Petrine so we receive first in the position of Mary saying thy will be done be it done unto me according to your word before we go out to convert the masses and to bring people to, to Christ And that's the Petrine dimension. So we're Marian first, and then we're Petrine. And it's being Marian that gives us that sense of peace, which then is almost Petrine in itself. Because then people will see us Mm -hmm. living that way, and they'll come to us. Not today, maybe. Not when we want it to happen. But if we're being faithfully Marian, we're saying, thy will be done. It's when God wills for them to see us and come to us and say, why do you have peace right now? How can you be so calm in the midst of this suffering? Can't you see what's happening around you? I have great friends. They, they, they just suffered uh, their daughter almost dying, drowning. And, uh, and little Joy Laboda, and, and uh, her father, Matt, prayed over her. And this is all over social media, and they're very yeah. public about it. And it was a
0: powerful witness, yeah.
2: Very powerful witness. And they are so at peace. And they're so joyful, and of course it was heart-wrenching and ter- you know, ter- terrifying and, and traumatic going through it, which are all normal human uh, emotions that God made us to feel. But not for one second was their faith shaken. The only response in the face of tragedy was to talk to God about this, to tell God w- what needs to happen. And Matt had a prayer, and he turned to God and said, heal my daughter mm-hmm. with that force and, and, and authority of a father. You know, but it was God he was turning to. You know, it, and that's the witness here, where he wasn't you know, throwing it all in and, and getting anxious and wondering if the whole thing's real or not. So that's the kind of peace I think that we can have um, that, that will eventually evangelize people. And that people come around and say, oh, how?" And, and I even saw the comments that flooded on the Facebook posts and, and people you know I think there was an, a, 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 an EMS worker or a policeman or somebody that you know was just literally deeply affected in that way, where he was asking, "How do you guys have so much faith in the, in the midst of this?" And they had a chance to evangelize because they came to him. so
0: yeah I mean it it's all it's all very scriptural that that if we if we exude hope, people will ask us the reason for our hope, but we we can't give what we don't have. so exactly. yeah I, I think there's there's a there's one thing necessary to go back to the beginning mm-hmm. of our conversation um, very important for our listeners to go back to that because there's that sort of amnesia that overtakes us that we we know all this and yet it's very easy for us to slip back into oh well I gotta I got to tell the kids about all this, and all of a sudden I'm running around, and there's, you know, there are meetings to be had, and there's confirmation kids coming tonight, and this and that and the other thing, but but one thing is necessary, and we'll evangelize if we remember that. Mm-hmm. So, you have spoken well. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think Alan had a, a que- Alan always just wants to make jokes and stuff, so I know he's got a question <laughs> about that, but but maybe I I, I might actually ask a, another question first in yeah. that. If we, if we are evangelizing part of our, our role to, to go back um, maybe to make a little bit of a, a Star Wars sort of uh, analogy here can, can we be um, mentors for others in this way uh, of mindfulness? What, what would you say to um, to those who seek to be um, in, in the, the style and, and, and wording of Pope Francis to be uh, to be practitioners of accompaniment? Um, I said that in way too many words and made it sound very complicated <laughs> and technical. But h- how do we accompany our friends and our family and those in ministry and ha- helping them to be more mindful? How can we be um, reminders that uh, that that affect others' amnesia and and bring them to uh, to remembering their identity and their trust in God?
2: Well, I think, you, I think you answered that already before, but and you use the phrase, and I think it's just the simplest and most concise way to just get the point across is you can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a parent, whether you're in ministry, whether you're leading a company, whether you're evangelizing, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You, can, you just can't give what you don't have. And so the first order has to be your own personal conversion. And it's got to be a lifelong process. It's got to be your lifelong focus is growing in your own abandonment and and drawing closer to Christ yourself. And then you can accompany people, and you'll have a greater sensitivity and insight and perception about what people need at some point along their faith journey in in their own lives. But when you come at it with an agenda and your own needs because you're in some way trying to control something that's off within yourself— you're never going to see what people really need. And you might have two kids or two adults, two people in exactly same situations, but their needs are going to be radically different from each other. And and you're not going to see that if you're coming at it with an agenda. The first step, and I think the most important step has to be you're coming to, to receive that piece yourself.
1: You know, it's so Amen. easy to forget that. And then, and also it's, it's, um, it's much easier to point out what's going on in somebody else than it is to look interior in yourself and then make those changes in yourself. Like you said, you got to live it first and that can be difficult for some people. And for me, because it's much easier to have to be ministering to somebody else and not want to have to look interiorly and, 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 um, look at what's going on in my life and kind of take that to prayer and really let God work on the challenges in my, in my heart and my life. That's much more difficult to do.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, if I wanted to take that next step and look at my own life, uh, how how might uh, what website might I go to in order to? Uh... <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you could always go to catholicmindfulness.com. That's going to help. You <laughs> Dr. Greg um, has has helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: catholicmindfulness.com. But uh, I I will make a plug that many people have been helped by. Um, not only this idea, but by the actual practice of the course that I guess what I was kind of getting at in way the way of accompaniment is that um, accountability is very um, that to, to set off on a path and, and maybe to, maybe somebody listens to this podcast and they pick up brother Lawrence and they, they read a book and that's, that's helpful. Um, but I think being a part of a, of a community and having a commitment to a course is helpful. So I want to make people aware that, um, that there is, there is a course available and that, um, It's also helpful to uh, to take that course, perhaps in in a a bit of a community where there are are others who are striving in the same way and uh, and growing with you. So CatholicMindfulness.com.
2: Absolutely, I couldn't I couldn't say that more. And um, you know, one of the I, I transitioned from teaching this course in person in my office in Connecticut to recording it and putting it online for people to make it available to a lot more people. Um, and that's been a great blessing because just the, 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 the comments, the feedback that I've gotten from around the country is just overwhelming. And I had no idea what kinds of situations in people's lives I could be affecting through just by recording something that I did already and slapping it online. And then all of a sudden it just opens up the market unbelievably. The one negative part of that is that it it does kind of take away the community aspect of it. So when I taught the course in person, it was great because we'd have 10 to 20 people and we'd all be sharing together in the journey and the experience and the accountability is there. And psychologically and sociologically, accountability is really huge to accomplishing goals that you set for yourself. And that's why there's all these like exercise groups and dieting groups. And you know, it's always helpful to have some place to check in and plug in. But that's—I built into the course that I offer online. I, I'm at least trying to encourage that accountability by um, offering people to find somebody that they can share their login information with, so that you don't have to actually purchase two separate course—you know—course accesses. Um, and so, and especially between husbands and wives, I, I love when spouses do this together. But basically, you 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 are—you know—somebody might be inspired for themselves to to sign up for this or to take this journey to start to explore their own personal narratives in ways that they're not staying in the present moment, in the ways that that's leading to lack of peace. But then they can then in turn try to share it with somebody else for free. But it kind of serves themselves because then it gives them the accountability that they need. And so you join together and you do this together, and it just makes it that much more powerful. And so I, I really do encourage that.
0: Awesome, awesome. All right, so one. Okay, so on. Alan.
2: <laughs> Yeah, the question.
1: <laughs> yeah, so one final question. And we talked about this um, a little bit last Monday when I was there. And I would just love you to share a little bit with our listeners on this idea of I think one of the things that's underrated in the world is humor. I, I really think that um, just la- the, the fight, the psychological effect effects that happen when people laugh together are huge. And we were talking about you were saying how when people are creative together, a similar thing happens physiologically. And so I'd love to just hear your thoughts real quick on. Um, humor and creativity when it comes to kind of breaking the ice with people like say you have rcia for the first night or it's your small group and you just have these people that you want to kind of allow them to bond a little bit and break down some walls so that people can uh you know so they can go a little deeper in their conversation how do you um, what would you suggest as far as humor and creativity goes and and that sort of thing
2: yeah absolutely i think it's really important to to have that desire to to want to be you know, creative and fun and humorous and funny. You know, you want to break the ice with being a a kind of person that people like to be around. And that you know, that's part of that accompaniment is like nobody's going to want your accompaniment if you're <laughs> dud. You know, if you're a bump on a log or you're boring or you're just negative <laughs> all the time. Nobody wants to be around that. And so that it's not much of an accompaniment you're offering there. <laughs> you know, but it's it's amazing to look at the research and to see like with mindfulness. Um, how it correlates to creativity specifically. And because in order to be creative and creative relates to humor, if you think about people that are really witty, like I'm not talking, you know, obviously we're not talking about dark humor or just like making fun of people or those kinds of negative types of humor. But um, you know, like people that are really witty, they're, they're very present minded Mm -hmm. and they're typically people that are not as anxious and not really filled with worry. And so they're really they're catching things on the fly. They're really picking up on things in the moment. And that's where their focus is. That's where their intentionality is. Um, and so just like when you're a company and you need to know what people's needs are when you're evangelizing and you have two people in the exact same situation, you need to be perceptive to each individual person. That kind of perceptivity, um, that ability for that perception Opens you up to just kind of being, you know, catching things on the fly and being more witty and 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 bringing more humor into a situation, and so I I think that's in a in a sort of um, subdued way or I guess a just a non-direct way, another way of evangelizing, because you're showing people I have a levity that only comes from real peace, and then it, it starts the conversation. At least unconsciously moving in that direction. Well, where does your piece come from? How are you so happy? How are you so funny? How are you so on on the ball and catching every one of these little things that are you know flying out of left field? So I think there's a, a great correlation there.
1: All right. I was I was um, very happy to hear that John Paul II was very funny, like in his personal life, when, I, when you read accounts of people that were hanging around him and, and writing uh, about his life as they were traveling with him. And they all said that he was, he was very funny and very, and joked with people quite a bit when they were like, not in front of a camera or he wasn't, you know, quote unquote on, he was just kind of joking around a lot. And I thought, oh yes, <laughs> there's, there's hope for me. <laughs> I can be holy. I don't have to be so serious and pious
0: all the time.
2: <laughs> oh, <I> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm going to bring a whoopee cushion to the uh, parent meeting tonight <laughs> and kick it off with some humor that way. I think that... Uh,
1: yeah, let uh, me know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Greg, for, for uh, hanging out with us today. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on sometime because there's just so much I feel like we scratched the surface of and didn't get a chance to go too deep into that I'd love to... to um, to go a little deeper next time. So thank you again for um for coming on the show. It's a pleasure.
2: Absolutely. You guys are great. I love being with you and, and talking with you, so I look forward to it.
1: Excellent. All right. So that brings us um to the end of the show. I want to remind you guys once again to please leave us comments and feedback at uh ascensionroundtable.com. No, Ascension, you can leave us comments. I was like, we got a website. <laughs> you can leave us comments. In the show notes at, at ascensionpresents.com Ascension slash podcasts. Correct. Or you can just email us directly at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. There you go. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Peace.